Well, here we go again, everybody, with another episode of Inside Curling Boys. Uh, put your booster cables down and enjoy and take a little break for 45 minutes or an hour here while we bring you another show. Kev, are, are you ready? Are you ready for this? <laughs> I'm ready for this. That's right, Jim. <laughs> you pause. And, of course, our correspondent and our editor and our producer of the show, Warren Hansen. How are you doing, Hansen? Happy New Year. Oh, thanks, Jim. Same to you. Uh, here in the West Coast, we had a, we had a white Christmas for the first time in 17 years, which was quite unusual. And to some degree, the white Christmas is still around and actually is still coming. So it's winter on the West Coast. Time to put you guys to work and don't make any mistakes today. Okay, fellas? Let's roll one out. Here we go. Last Rock, eighth end, up by two. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was cut him down. Kevin Martin can celebrate. He is a champion. Well, boys, uh, this is our uh, first regular show of the 2022 season. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We had a great uh, Christmas. We brought you a couple of updated shows. We'd like to thank all our sponsors, Sports Interaction, who brings you what's happening around the curling world. Nestle Boost is the sponsor of Mailbag, and we'd love to hear from you and with your emails. Coyote Tractor, the sponsor of Hot Rock Topics and Storytime. And we got a good one today, Kevin, about you and, yes, cats. And that's brought to you by Meridian. Uh, here's what's on the show today. Curling Canada has confirmed that so far the Scotties and the Briar will be held as scheduled in 2022, but some of the provincial and territorial things, championships are not going to happen, or are they? We've got to try and figure that out. So Warren, you're going to bring us up to date on that. Uh, also, the Canadian Mixed Doubles Olympic qualification was cancelled, and Curling Canada, in consultation with the Canadian Olympic Committee and Own the Podium, are going to select a team to play in the Olympics. Hmm, what do we think about that? We'll get the boys' opinion. Also, the question of will the Olympics really happen is still, everyone's asking that. And who knows? You know, who knows? Gary Bettman wants hockey to go into the Summer Olympics now. Uh, maybe they could do it with curling. We're going we're gonna to figure that out. We've asked a Facebook group to weigh in on that, and we're going to discuss some of those. Kevin discovered an event that took place this week at the Hollywood Curling Club. As in Hollywood, California, Kev? Hollywood, L.A.? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right. it's, it's exciting times down there. It's called the Tournament of Rocks, and we're going to look at that. Hot Rock Topics, we discovered an interesting media release put out by the World Curling Federation on December 27th that has changed some of the things with regard to the three new proposed rule changes. We've been talking about those quite a bit. Uh, they were scheduled to be in the worlds, I think. They were going to try it, uh, but now some of that has changed. The mailbag, we're going to look into an email sent to us about an idea of a curling World Cup. In the house, Colleen Jones. I'll tell you what, you were pretty decorated, Kev, okay, as a curler. Colleen Jones, she might have you, Kev. She might have you. On, on, I mean, it's crazy what she's accomplished. Yes. And we've got her joining us today. 
And then, Kev, this story, you're going you're gonna to tell us again. Uh, I can't wait for that. Thanks, everyone, for your emails. Uh, they really do bring up a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, Warren combs through those. I get to look at them from time to time. If you want us to read your email, keep it short. Okay, don't write a book. Insidecurling at gmail.com. Okay, let's get to this, Warren. What's happening around the curling world? Scotty's in Thunder Bay and the Briar and Lethbridge will continue as planned. Uh, they even announced that the format will go back to 16 teams versus the 18 from last year. But what's happening with the provincial playdowns now, Warren, considering COVID? We'll give you a rundown as best we can. And keep in mind, this is changing by the minute. So what we're going to tell you today might change tomorrow. But at the moment, up in Kamloops, British Columbia, the Scotties and Briar Provincial is underway. And the same thing is taking place for the Alberta playdowns up in Grand Prairie, although there have been apparently two or three cases of COVID within the players there. We don't know whom, and we don't know how it's impacted, but it's all continuing. We look at Saskatchewan. Their Scotties is still scheduled to go January 5th to 9th, as far as we know. And the Briar playdowns in Assiniboia, or pardon me, the women's in Assiniboia, the Briar playdowns will go in Regina February 9th to 13th. The Manitoba Scotties is already done. And the Briar Playdown is set for Selkirk, January 25th to 30. Northern Ontario has cancelled the Scotties Playdowns, but no word on how they will determine who's going to go to the event, which of course is in Thunder Bay. And the fate of the Briar Playdowns is unknown. Announcement of Ontario yesterday. The Provincial Scotties was slated for Thornhill to start on the 5th, and it's been cancelled. The Men's Briar Playdowns in Ontario are still scheduled for Port Elgin uh, starting February 9th. Quebec, New Brunswick, and PEI have cancelled their Scotties Provincial, but not certain where things are sitting with the men and the Briar playoffs. Nova Scotia has completed the Scotties playdowns, and the Briar playoff is still slated for the end of the month in Halifax, but that remains to be seen what's going to happen there. There are no notices otherwise at this point, so we've assumed that playdowns are planning to go ahead as scheduled in Newfoundland and Labrador. None of it. The Scotties champion was declared because there was only one team entered. And the men's is unknown. Northwest Territory, Scotties is supposed to be happening this week. As far as we know, that's taking place. Don't know about the Briar and don't know about the Yukon. And as mentioned earlier, the Scotties and the Briar are still going ahead as planned. The Scotties in Thunder Bay and the Briar in Lethbridge. But who knows at this point what's going to happen. From my point of view, I would think with what's going on, their best bet would be to step back, probably take a look at the Calgary situation from last year, and virtually, I would think, take the same approach again. Because... What's going to happen here in the next six weeks is really unknown. I don't think we're going to see a big change in things. And to hold those events in places like Thunder Bay and Lethbridge is going to be practically impossible, I think. And particularly, those are tough places to get into. To fly into both those cities is not easy. And with what's going on with the airlines and everything else, I think that would be their best bet. What do you think, Kevin? What do you think they should do? Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, and you mentioned it last. The, your best point, I think, was the flights. It's really tough right now for the airlines because of uh, a lack of staff to be able to get the airplanes up and across the country and around from province to province. And when you're bringing in athletes from from across the nation, it's going to be tough for the athletes to get there. So you're right. That's a huge, huge problem that uh, potentially awaits. Without question. Before we move on, I should also mention in the United States, they have canceled the the U.S. nationals that were scheduled to go on this month. Both have been canceled. So that's an interesting decision from, from down there. Careful what you wish for, Warren, right? You've been outspoken about it might be time to change the national championships with, you know, with, with these provincial qualifications that are necessary. How, Kevin, how are you going to have a national final if under this where provinces get in, if, if two or three of the provinces aren't there? 
I imagine that if you're going to be able to have the Nationals, the players should be able to get there somehow. But you're right. There could be, you know, who knows what will happen in the next few weeks. And I believe the Scotties are supposed to start on the 22nd day of January. That's not very far down the road. And, uh, you know, so we'll, what will happen? And can people travel? And how are you going to get there? And crowd? And so many questions in, in such little time. Uh, okay, let's talk Canadian mixed doubles. Uh, they were cancelled. Okay, that's what we've got to talk about. Uh, because of COVID, Curling Canada, in uh, consultation with the COC, and on the podium, are going to select a team with Curling Canada. I, I don't know how they're going to do that. There's a lot of initials here, Kev, like you said. How do you want to do it? The COC, the CC, <laughs> are going to consult with the OTP, uh, and now we're going to flip that over to WH, okay, to give us his, uh, his update, Warren couple of things. First off, I think we all know that Curling Canada made a decision quite some time ago that you could not play in four-person, men's or women's, and mixed doubles both. You had to select one or the other. So as a result, the number one mixed doubles team in Canada has been eliminated from participating because the two players, Peterman and Gallant, are also in the Olympics in four-person curling. However, we asked the question on our Facebook group, who would you pick to go if you had to make a selection? Interesting enough, 52% of them said... Peterman Glant. 29% said Morris Holman. 12% said Martin Griffiths. And 8% Jacobs Einerson. So the interesting thing is, as it currently sits in second place, is Lang and Jones, who also are ineligible. And then is Martin Griffiths, is the third place team, which has done a team that's done very well in uh, mixed doubles competitions over the years. But they are two players with not much international experience. And so when it comes to Olympics, I'm sure that's what our listeners are looking at, as well as I'm wondering if Curling Canada is going to be looking at is, do you want a team there that's going to have some background with international and Olympic play to take the spot for Canada? So that's going to be interesting to see how that comes out and actually when they make the announcement. To send Gallant Peterman, they would have to change the rules. But, you know, I've been looking at this whole thing. If these Olympics are going to go ahead... Maybe the WCF needs to take an initiative and, and ask the IOC to maybe make some exceptions for this one Olympics because of the COVID. And maybe that is allowing the four-person teams to have two alternates. And maybe the mixed doubles teams, if you are only a mixed doubles country, you're not in men's and women's, that they would have two as well. But like with Canada's example, if they were to allow both the men's and women's to have two alternates, along with, they could put Jocelyn Peterman and Brent Gallant is a mixed doubles team. They would then have 14 players and make them interchangeable so that the four-person people can play mixed doubles as is required and back and forth. So through that approach to life, maybe they could ensure that they could feel the team for each and every draw, again, because the COVID issue is not going to go away just because they're in China. That's kind of my thoughts on what they should be maybe thinking. But what do you think, Kevin? Obviously, it scares me big time to have... Uh curling Canada pick anything that's certainly something that I've heard people talk about not just because of COVID in this Olympics but going all the way back to the start of curling coming in 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 1988 onward to 92 and so forth you know a a team picked that always scared the heck out of me being uh that you know curling Canada and myself butted heads quite a lot if it would have been a handpick situation I don't think I would have ever got to an Olympics that's for sure so that's that worries me no question about that now as far as how do you pick the team well 
Uh, I certainly like the idea of a six-person team, and not just this year. I've been on Curling Canada to do that since the early 2000s, so 20 years. I've been bugging them to have a player who can play the front end, maybe even the third position, and have a back-end player, somebody who can definitely play the skip position in case somebody gets sick, like Mike Harris did in 1998. That was a big deal. Mike had to, he, he tried to play with the flu and, you know, just, just couldn't, unfortunately, and ended up losing to Herleman in the final there. So you're right, Warren, it'd be nice to make sure you have enough spares so that in this situation with COVID, where yes, it's quite possible that one or two players could, could end up getting sick, you have enough spares to be able to field a team and have a, a team that could win. And keeping in mind that make sure that you can, you know, you can replace the Brad Gushu or or Jennifer Jones, or in the case of mixed doubles, whoever they end up choosing. Now, who should they choose? Well, Jocelyn and Brett, they're there anyway, and they're ranked number one. So to me, that's just a no-brainer that uh, gives us our very best chance, us as Canadians, uh, a chance to get on that podium. It gives us the very best chance we have. And that has to be the, in my opinion, has to be the purpose of, of the choice. How are we going to get on the podium? So that seems to be what, what I would do. John Morris and Rachel Holman, that's talked about a fair amount as well. Hard to argue with with having Johnny Moe uh, play mixed doubles because obviously very good at it. Him and Rachel get along great. Uh, I think they'd have a chance at the podium. Also, you are bringing more people into the mix. Now, if that's a case of, of bringing another spare in, I suppose that's okay. I don't see in Mark Kennedy or, or John somebody that can take over for Brad Gushu, unfortunately, there. And that would be a Brad Jacobs that I would probably bring in at that case. And, and you've got Kerry Anderson, who could spare at the skip level for Jennifer Jones. So interesting. There's lots to discuss in the boardrooms. I'm sure there's some interesting uh, talks going on. Kevin, how come uh, you know, on that poll that Warren just read, Jacobs and Einerson were only 8%. What's the difference, Kev? If you're, you know, if you're a highly ranked curl on a four-man team, what, what, that doesn't necessarily translate into you being a really good mixed doubles curler. It could, but not necessarily. Brad Jacobs, I don't believe, has played much mixed doubles, and that would be my concern as well. Mixed doubles is a different game, and uh, you know, him and Kerry, you know, were going to try and play once Brad Gushu qualified for the Olympics. They replaced Brad with a different Brad but they hadn't played a lot of mixed doubles together. So that would be people's reason to kind of go, ooh, not sure about that. But to have Brad and Kerry go over as uh, spares, as uh, alternates, uh, Brad Jacobs, sorry, Brad Jacobs and Kerry going over as alternates, have Brett and Jocelyn be the main team. You've got Lisa Weagle who can play as well. So, uh, And then you've got Jocelyn and Brett. So it'd be a very, very strong Canadian contingent going over. It'd be hard to argue with the whole crew, have Brett and Jocelyn play the mixed doubles. And then if they are tired, which is possible, you've got a great group of, of spares to be able to go in and play one game or something, maybe two games, give them a couple of days straight off to, to get their batteries charged. Uh, we polled 750 people. Uh, so this is real. These are, these are big numbers. The question, Kevin, is will the Olympics really happen anyway? And our Facebook group, here's what they said. Question was, I think the Olympics should take place in 2023. 52% of the people agreed with that. Next one was, I think the Olympics will take place this year, 28%. I don't think the Olympics place as scheduled, that's 20%. And 8% said the Olympics will probably happen this year, but I don't think it should happen. Kev, what do you say to all that? What, what, what do you think? Should they cancel the Olympics, Kevin? Should they try and pull it off? 
Yeah, I, I definitely think the uh, Olympics will happen. I I, uh, I believe it will. Now, unfortunately, it's really sad for the teams. They can't have family and friends over at the event. You know, that that hurts. But, you know, I, but I do think the Olympics can happen. I think that it can, uh, you know, the, the trick for the athlete is to get get there, get to Beijing. Because once you get there, I think it'll be a pretty closed group. The travel is going to be tricky. And I don't know, I haven't heard if maybe the whole team are going over in a charter, how they're doing it. I don't know the answer to that. Dick Pound was talking a couple of days ago now that it looks like the Olympics will happen as is. So, you know, I'm with, I guess, the 28% that I'd like to see it go. People around the world who love sports like myself, it'd be so good to just get and be able to cheer on the athletes from all over the place. I think it will go, but the real challenge is going to be to get the people over there, I think, and housed in Beijing without catching COVID. I think that's going to be the challenge. And so maybe they have to take them all over in the same plane. Maybe they got to quarantine for a few days somewhere here in Canada before they do that. But I think once they hit China, the way things will be dealt with there, the whole situation of COVID spreading or even existing within the athlete group, I think will be pretty well controlled. So it's going to be, I think, the matter of getting there and getting settled without any COVID taking place with the athletes is going to be the challenge. Yeah, I think a charter makes the most sense, no question. And what about the curling itself, Kev? Is it four or five sheets? Or if it is, are they going to leave, you know, play on every second sheet to leave one one empty so the curlers aren't... Oh, I think everybody would be tested and isolated uh, yeah. at the event, kind of like the bubble that way. So I'm not very worried about once people get there, once the athletes get there, yeah. safe and sound, tested, make sure you're, you don't have COVID, I can, from there on in, I, 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 don't, I don't suspect a whole lot of trouble, kind of like the Calgary bubble. Um, it worked pretty well, but you have to get there. The way China has dealt with this uh, entire th- virus situation and hearing what went on with the wheelchair athletes in November, uh, they are going to be very, very restricted and extremely careful. So I think once they're there, the chances of COVID being an issue is not going to probably be big. The challenge is going to be getting there and having everybody clean once they're settled. Uh, okay, uh, I guess that answers nothing about what we're going to find out about the Olympics. <laughs> who, who knows, but uh, stay tuned. Uh, Kevin, you found an event that took place um, at the Hollywood Curling Club called the Tournament of Rocks. I get that name. What's that all about, Kev? Is that, that's in L.A.? It's in L.A., yeah. I was talking to Matt Gamboa, actually, from the club there. It's the Hollywood Curling Club. They play inside the Southern California Curling Center. So it's in downtown L.A. I have not been in the building yet. This is their first year. I do plan on getting there and saying hi to everybody because it's really exciting. But one thing that I noticed is this the event being held. It's basically a Continental Cup tournament of rock event uh, just at the club though this we, we talk a lot about how do we make the game exciting for people to come in that haven't played before well this is a continental cup you enter and they got two teams and they call themselves being u.s sports fanatics you've got the pac-12 and the and the big 10 that's what they call the two teams but as you enter you don't enter as a team of four you could enter as a team of four or you just enter you by yourself, whatever. You'll be put on the Pac-12 or the Big Ten and you play against each other in a Continental Cup style bond spiel and one of the two teams wins. You're, you're part of a big team and it's just a big party and really fun. I just saw it and I saw it. that's why I phoned Matt and he was nice enough to give me the information and I just think it's a great idea to get new people in. The club is six sheets, Jimmy, down in, uh, in L.A., are they as wide as every other sheet? How are they jamming six sheets in? All right, what's happening around the curling world? 
we need to know uh, there is a lot happening around the curling world. And thank you very much to Sports Interaction, providing you competitive odds on all sports. Sports Interaction is Canada's odds maker. You've got to be 19 to play responsibly. Next, we've got to move along to Hot Rock Topics, brought to you by Coyote Tractor. Coyote Tractor, proud partner of Team Jacobs and the Grand Slam of Curling. Coyote, we dig dirt. Here's the topic. We discovered an interesting media release put out by the WCF on December 27th that has changed some of the things with regard to the three newly proposed rule changes that were scheduled to be trialed at the 2022 Men's and World's Championships. What happened here? Everyone was into this thing. It's kind of hard to say exactly what's going on. This release, again, sent out December 27th, interesting timing, and they have apparently appointed a group, they're calling it the Maximizing the Value Working Group, who recently reviewed and discussed the results of the initial consultation phrase of the trial rules proposals. Wasn't sure there was a consultation phrase in there as well. Anyway, this is some of the things that they said. There was some positive feedback showing some athletes were open to trialing rules to assess their impact. However, there was a lot of negative feedback with significant concerns, again, from athletes regarding trialing the rules at the 2022 World Men's and Women's Championships. Here was some of the concern. Timing was a major concern. Some were suggesting that if this was to go ahead, maybe during the course of a game, a few small number of opportunities during a game to have a short pause. And the other thing that was a concern was errors being committed by poorly trained timers were the two things that were standing out there. The no-tick zone. Suggestions were to be made not to have it for the entire game. Other ideas were the no-tick area should be made more specific. Certain areas on maybe the center line that need to be considered. And maybe the no-tick should also be considered for corner guards as well. The no extra end rule. Concerns about the reliance of a single shot to determine whether you win or lose. Which I thought that's interesting. Most games come down to a single shot of whether you're going to win or lose. Anyway, concerns were how this might impact the strategy of the game. The result of this was as follows. The group will not consider using the no extra end rule at the World Men's and Women's in 2022, but will look for other events where this might be tested. And discussions will continue on how the other two rules could be trialed and will be concluded by the end of January. I might also add there was another three pages of frequently asked questions that they had received, and I think that's going to be a topic for review in one of our other shows because it was quite, quite extensive. So, Interesting to hear what Kevin has to say about that. I might also add that we have an interview that's going to be played, uh, released on Saturday, I believe, a podcast with uh, Dan and Erickson, who make some very interesting comments about these rules, well thought out. Remind everybody to listen to that. But Kevin, what do you think of what's happened here? Well, I like the fact that there's discussion. <laughs> For, you know, like I, I like the fact that they're taking the thoughts of not just curlers, coaches, curlers, but everybody into, into a fact. And, and that's important. That doesn't happen usually in curling. So that's great. How they decide to implement these, where they implement them, which events, all of that, it really doesn't matter, uh, I don't think, to the, to, the, to the game in the long run, which is what we're all worried about. But I think that trying all of these different ideas is a really good idea. And now, should they be at the World Championships? Well, maybe some of them can, maybe some of them can't. Do you implement them all at one event? That's, that's a worthy argument going, okay, if you're trying to you know, check variables and check the effect of each individual rule, 
then maybe you don't put them all in at one time because then it may muddy the water a little bit too much. But having, you know, taking the time to to test each one, great. Should they be at the Worlds? Sure, they could be. You could try one or something at, at the Worlds and, and keep trying at different events. And, and they're putting the timeline to next January, so great. I do like the fact that they're they're putting the words of the players in the equation, which is something new, which is great. Just try them. Just give it a whirl at the Worlds. Yeah, I mean, it's the same rules for everybody. Yeah, I think they've got to start doing some things here because there's some definite issues here. The length of these games have got to be taken into consideration, and there's got to be some trials done there. The whole issue of scoring is becoming a huge concern. When you can look at the fact right now that 85% of the time the team with the hammer in an extra end wins, that's not good. And, I mean, if we look back at that uh, Canadian trials game between Gushu and Jacobs, Everybody, including them, pretty much knew it was going to happen after the first end because Gushu had the hammer. And uh, that just can't be the case going forward if we're going to, if we're going to sell this thing. So there's, there's need for some experimenting, I think, and a need for a lot of discussion. There's some things they haven't even talked about as to what the problem is. And, and I, I look at one of the big ones is this game was designed to throw a, a rock from a stationary position to a target 140-some feet away. And we've changed that dramatically over the years. And, and so that's never brought into discussion. Anyway, I think they've got to keep looking and they've got to keep trying. Kevin, why? It's not the first time we've heard this that when we asked our guests over the past several weeks about these rule changes, about the timing of ends. And, and one of the responses from more than a majority of them sometimes is you're at the mercy of a person who's not very well trained to be a timer. I don't want to be sarcastic here, but how, how much training does it take to punch a stopwatch? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't get it, it, and yet I've heard it a bunch of times. Yeah, it's it's true, and it, it should be fairly doable. I I do understand the argument, but that argument would only be short term because as more and more people were to do it, you get better at it. You get a whole crew of people that are good at it, and I, I don't see. I don't know. There's always pushback whenever there's rule changes in sport. It doesn't matter if it's curling or whatever sport. And, you know, I just think evolution of sport is very important. Some rules changes that you bring in, you think it's going to be great and you try it and it, it isn't great. It's terrible. Okay, well, just don't do not do those. <laughs> but, but to, you know, to try these things and find out that some, like thinking time, people were not happy when they went away from like 60-some minutes per game, I forget, so long ago, to a thinking time, which was much shorter. Oh, boy, oh, boy, people were complaining like crazy. The first event that they tried that was in Calgary and the first female, the first ladies draw, all the sheets ran at a time. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, it's it's again they got to experiment and they got to try and they got to try to continue improve upon what we're doing and make the whole product more saleable. Curlers have to remember that we're not trying to sell the sport to curlers; we're trying to sell it to people who are looking from the outside. Uh, thanks a lot to Coyote Tractor for sponsoring Hot Rock Topics. We got to move along right now uh, to our mailbag segment, InsideCurling at Gmail If you want to weigh in on anything uh, at all, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, mailbag is brought to you by Nestle Boost. Up your nutrition game with Boost, convenient meal replacement drinks with a taste you're guaranteed to love. Uh, I'm a Boost user, by the way, you know, because I need to slim really? down, boys. <laughs> I got a baby. I got to <laughs> be not so fat. Uh, what's COVID? You know, I'm stuck at home. Okay, here's our email from Tom Conklin. Uh, has sent us the following about a World Cup in curling. You keep saying that curling needs a World Cup. It already has a World Cup. The World Championships are the World Cup. In soccer, the World Cup includes the best national teams in the world and results in the World Championship. 
The Curling World Championships do exactly that. The only difference is that soccer only has one world championship every four years. I'm pretty sure the parallel you're thinking of is the European or South American club championship. That involves the best club teams. If that model was used for curling, the best teams would be chosen to compete in a similar world championship playdown. This could involve a point system or a series of qualifying tournaments like the Slams and Continental Championships to determine the best 32 teams, and then those teams would be put into pools with a knockout round to follow. In this kind of format, some countries would be represented by more than one team. In a situation like Canada, where there are four to six teams that are as good as or better than most national teams, there would be a much more fair opportunity to participate. Keep up the good work. That's from Tom in Ottawa. That doesn't clear anything up for me at all. I was very confused by that, Kevin. I appreciate the email, Tom. Um, It's great. I know nothing about soccer. Uh, Zero. I don't watch it at all. What I was kind of thinking was more World Cup skiing, where you have a national quota, depending on how many teams your country may have in the top X amount of teams. In skiing, I I shouldn't talk through my hat. Uh, This has been going on since the mid-60s, and I think it's the number of competitors you have in the top 60-ish. And then you're allowed up to eight athletes um, in these events. And and what I do like about it is you get higher quotas for your country if you're an organizing country. So if you take on organizing a World Cup event, you actually get extra players in the event. It's kind of a nice uh, a bonus if you were to do that, which I, I think is wonderful. Now, if we took it to curling, and let's just say we're going to have a 16-team World Cup event. Yeah, like I say, I don't know anything about soccer, so I can't argue with Tom about how soccer does it. But uh, I did look up quite a lot about the World Cup skiing, and I see curling being a lot like that. If you were to have a 16-team event in women's right now, and you went to the top 30 teams, 16 of the top 30 are Canadian. Then you got two Swiss, three South Korea, two Sweden, one Scotland, two Japan, two US, one Russia, one Germany. So the field of 16 would be, I think you can only have three teams. That's what I would set. But whoever runs the World Cup can set it the way they want. You'd have three Canadian teams, Fleury, Jones, and Anderson. You'd have three South Korea teams, Unjun Kim, Minji Kim, and Unji Jim. You'd have two Swiss teams, Terenzoni and Shori. You'd have two Japan teams, Fujisawa and Yoshimura. You'd have two U.S., Peterson and Christensen. Two Swedish teams, Hasselborg and Vrana. One Scottish, of course, Eve. One Russia, Elena Kovaleva. And one Germany, Gench. Now, that's 17 teams. So then the last ranked team in was Yoshimura. So she would be out. And that would be your 16-team field. A tremendous event, you guys. Now, I do like the idea of being able to throw a bone to the organizing committee and maybe let them have one extra team. So if a country like, it doesn't matter who, uh, let's say the U.S. put on the event and they have two teams in the top 30, they could bring in a third team. And that would be big reason for them to run an event. I think it's a wonderful idea. It is different than a Grand Slam. It's different than a World Championship. It's a World Cup. Right, and I think the key thing to mention, mention Tom, is that uh, we're not suggesting the World Championships wouldn't continue. We're suggesting that two things would happen. There would be an annual World Championship in men's and women's and mixed doubles curling, but there would also be an annual World Cup Championship. And the World Cup Championship would be based on points that the teams would acquire throughout the year. So as an example, maybe we work it on the calendar year and it starts in January. 
And maybe when you get this thing finally up and running, it's not going to start with six events. Maybe it starts with one, but you have six events that are qualifiers that will be played throughout the year, maybe later in the year, in the spring and early in the fall. And then you'd have possibly the World Cup event championship in early January where you'd have the teams that have acquired the greatest number of points through the entire season prior into the final World Cup championship. So that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about eliminating world championships. We're talking about creating a new avenue, which most other winter sports have done, and that's having a World Cup tour. Yeah, Tom, don't get mad at me because I said I was confused, okay? I'm not confused about you. I'm just confused. No, you're just confused normally. <laughs> when you start to talk about a point system for people to qualify for something, uh, I get all twitchy, okay? The PGA, Warren and Kevin have got this FedEx Cup, and it's based on a point system. I hope it's not like that. I think the point system is not the way to go for any of this stuff, but that's just me, and I'm not Kevin or Warren. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, thank you very much, Tom. Uh, Mailbag is brought to you by Nestle Boost. We appreciate that very much. In the house, our guest spot that we do on the show is brought to you by Goldline. Goldline curling equipment can be found in pro shops and curling stores all around the world, plus their retail stores in Calgary, London, and Scarborough, and Mississauga, and there's two stores in Ottawa. Goldline can be found at every Grand Slam of curling event and online anytime at goldlinecurling.com. Let me uh, tell you about our guest, okay? How about this? 21 times she has appeared in her provincial championship, she won 16 titles, six Scotties that she's won, including an unprecedented four in a row. She won the world championships two times. In 2019, she was named the third greatest curler in history, second greatest athlete, stupid hockey guy got in the way from Nova Scotia. And I'll tell you one of the other things that's going to go down the road. Wikipedia, I think, ran out of ink when they were trying to do your highlights. There she is knocking at the door. Colleen Jones. How are you, Colleen? Let me in. Let me in. You're in. You're in. You're in. <laughs> nice to be here with you guys. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. How's everybody out there? Well, we're good. Of course, COVID is the topic du jour again, but mm -hmm. Colleen, when you hear all these things that you've done, I know it goes through my mind. I'm going, this girl was really good. <laughs> she was really, really good. When you hear it all, uh, what do you think, Colleen, when you hear the exceptional record and career it's funny and i don't know if kevin feels this way too but you don't appreciate it when you're in it when you're in it you're just trying to keep getting better you're trying to find new ways to win you're trying to stay ahead of everybody kevin i don't know if you felt the same way that you only kind of enjoy it after and you go wow who was that person that did all that <laughs> right i mean it's uh it's kind of surreal. But when you're in the moment in it, you're just trying to figure out how to get better. You know, one of my greatest disappointments was not getting to an Olympics. And I think back at the Olympic trials and where did they go wrong? What did I do wrong? That sort of stuff kept me up at night. So some of the things off the resume are still, I guess, when you're a perfectionist, you're always looking for more. What probably kept you up at night is you were curling 24 hours a day when you, when you look at this. <laughs> Over all these years since you've been curling, what's the biggest change that you've seen in the sport from when you started to where it is now? I think the biggest change has been the rule changes, for starters, and the equipment changes, frankly. I mean, the sliders are better. The brooms are 
so much better. And the science of sweeping is so much better. Mm -hmm. And ice making is a million times better than it was. They know so much more how to kind of produce consistent results all the time. In some ways, I think it's almost too perfect now that it's taken a little of the art of reading the ice out of the game a bit, but the conditions are usually pretty great. As a matter of fact, so much so that when the conditions are off a little bit, like you just hear the the whining and fear come into, oh, what's it doing here? Oh, there's frost. Oh, there's this, right? So, But the rule changes are definitely massive. The Olympics has really changed the face of the game where people are really planning teams for quadrennials now and... And it's raised the profile of the game globally, so that's big. Teams now seem to curl, you know, full time. Were you curling all the time? All the time. I was curling all the time. And that's no different. I mean, I know how many rocks Kevin threw in his life. I know in Newfoundland and Labrador how many Brad Gushu's throwing. I threw all the time and focused more on more on the throwing and the skill of the team and belief in if you can practice like you play, demand kind of consistent performance for yourself and practice. And then when you get in a game, it should be easy Mm -hmm. because we were relatively isolated on the East Coast. So in order to kind of become strong, you needed to play all the time. If young teams, and I know you're helping some teams uh, these days, if if young teams came to you, uh, saw your record and said, what advice will you give us, Colleen, to become a champion? sort of the one or two things you would tell them? You have to work extremely hard, and it can't be just on the ice. You've got to be in the gym. And I think the most important aspect of the game is being mentally tough, preserving the chemistry on a team. So the the work of a team is sort of, you want to be sort of united when you're on there as one, yet you're individually performing when it's your turn to throw. So the mental side of it is huge, finding that, sometimes magic ingredient that makes a team work. But, you know, just having the the courage to stand in your curling shoes when it's 10th end or extra end and not choke is, you know, definitely (laughs) something young teams have to prepare for. And in order to prepare for that, you've got to do the mental training at night, either through meditation or anything like that. Very good. Uh, Kevin? Colleen, hey, thanks a lot for coming on. I sure appreciate you taking the time. Uh, one of the other big changes that I really want to talk to you about today was uh, in regards to the growth of our wonderful sport worldwide. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, back in the day, there might have been two, three teams, maybe four at the most, of the teams at a world championship that could have possibly have won the world championship. That's not the case anymore when it comes to uh, women's or men's. So I guess from your side of things, uh, you, you, know, you see a lot of the curling internationally. The reason for such incredible growth internationally and not just in Canada. I mean, the Olympics has fueled that because it puts more money into all of these different countries' programs. I guess there were worse things always having Canada in the final. <laughs> but that kind of domination, it's its a little like watching women's hockey where you're just waiting for it to be the Canada-U.S. showdown. So seeing the growth in what we're seeing in Russia, um, Switzerland, who's always been a strong curling country, but now consistently performing well. Scotland's always been strong, of course. To see the growth in Asia, you know, that's thanks to the Olympic Games, of course, because... Again, that money that comes from having your sport as an Olympic, it helps to build the sport and make it stronger. 
Uh, you're going over to Beijing, correct? You'll be on the ground there? Yes, I am. I'll miss you. You won't be in the booth beside us. <laughs> yeah, we got to hang out quite a bit in Pyeongchang for a month. That's right. <laughs> Four years ago. That's right. But uh, no, I'll be in uh, in Connecticut calling it from uh, off tube, off the uh, off video. But I just don't know how, ma- how many people are joining you over in, out of the Canadian crew over in, in Beijing. Devin Haru will be there, and we have a camera person and uh, a, a producer. So it's a very small crew. Yeah, Bruce and Mike will be back at in Toronto calling it off the screen. It's going to be feeling surreal compared to previous Olympic Games. Tons of fans, tons of energy and access. Yes, we'll have access to the athletes with our masks on and from um, two meters away, which is I'm, I'm thankful to have. But it's just going to be a totally different vibe, maybe more of like the Calgary bubble. It's going to feel pretty surreal. Are you going to be able to go from event to event fairly openly, or are you going to be fairly restricted on on your personal movements? Yeah, you're you're restricted. Of course, you know what the curling schedule is like. I mean, who wants to go anywhere after curling? It's it starts before the games begins with the mixed doubles, and then goes right until the bitter end. So there really isn't a lot of time to go and see any of the other events. But because of the closed loop they're going to run in Beijing, you've got a test at the airport, <laughs> you, you're tested twice before you get on the airplane, and then it's the closed loop means you literally go f- straight from the airport to your hotel, and then the next place you get on is a bus to get from the hotel to the venue. The venue back to hotel, <laughs> back and forth, back and forth. So you won't see a lot. I was at the Beijing games um the summer olympics so uh really saw a lot of the city and got to the great wall and all of that so i'm i'm glad that i was able to have that experience during the summer games yes so colleen let's go back in time a bit when you started and it was way back in 1979 in montreal in the old mount royal arena oh my god yeah we both were there i was there as the coach of Lindsay sparks's team yeah she was my hero actually that team that was the last McDonald Lassie. So you are a player who did play in the McDonald Lassie, played second yes. for Penny LaRock. Yeah. And this is the first time ever there was a playoff at the Scotties or the Briar. And uh, at the end of that round robin, BC finished in first place, eight and two. There's five of you tied in second place at seven and three. So you returned 20 more times after that by my records. And every other time you were the skip. Amazing career. But a big question I need to ask, and Kevin and I have talked about this many times, is how long do you keep playing and, and what motivates you? And we discussed this as to our own feelings personally, having been competitive athletes, as to what point in time you kind of decide, I can't do this anymore. But you've had this long, long career. How have you kept yourself motivated through all these years to keep wanting to win and wanting to play? Well, I think what makes all great curlers great is the passion for the sport. So that passion, what gives away before the passion usually is the body. So if your body keeps going and you're like going, I can still do this, like a Glenn Howard, for example, and and your passion's still there. I mean, I know we all get tired of life on the road. Really, I mean, I would still be playing, if not for COVID, knowing that this year I was going to Beijing, that kind of canceled this year on every front, not just sort of trying to get to the Scotties. That dream's alive, people. But seniors was canceled too, you know, they took the 2020 rep because of not being able to play play down. So I, I think it's mostly just, you know, the passion and love and the drive. And if I, if I wasn't making shots, I wouldn't want to do it. 
And if the body didn't hold up, if the hips or knees, you know, the chronic kind of injuries that happen. Now we're seeing a lot of shoulder injuries for players, so that'll kind of stymie careers too. But it's so much like the game of golf in that you can stay pretty good, pretty sharp, so long as you're, you know, the, the body holds up and the passion still is around. So I guess I was blessed with a lot of energy to want to do that kind of thing. Like, uh, you know, what else would I do with my time? So, <laughs> there's yeah, I think that the mental aspect has to, has to be the really difficult one. I, I know from my own point of view, I always had the saying, when a half hour after I've lost, it doesn't matter, then it really doesn't matter. And I think that's got to be the... True, if it's not keeping you up at night. Let's talk about the Olympics again for a minute and, and Canada, and particularly in the mixed double side, considering Canada's finding themselves in somewhat of a, a difficult position here. Have you got any uh, ideas on what they should be looking at doing and who should be the team that uh, maybe represents us? Yeah, well, it is a hot topic right now because come to having to choose a team. So it's sort of, a, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes of having to make the proposal of who, but I think there's some obvious things. And in a way, they've they boxed themselves into a bit of a corner right away. I mean, the, the Gallant and Peterson as the number one ranked team would make sort of logical sense. And I mean, you can't have world mixed doubles champs, Moet and Dodds, able to play a mixed doubles as they are, and then they'll play in four-person game. And we just saw it a lot at the last Olympics where there were several teams that played in both. And, you know, we've got Martin and Griffiths who are number two, and I'm not sure if they'll sort of get an honest shake at this because their lack of experience, Olympic experience, might be their drawback when they present... I think how this goes is that Curling Canada presents it to both uh, COC and Own the Podium. And, and they'll be looking at, okay, what have they done internationally? So Home and Morris, I guess, look like a logical choice as well. And then again, if it, if it weren't for sort of saying four-person teams can't play in the mixed doubles, I mean, you've got Gushu and Carrie Anderson as the defending Canadian champs. So how do you think outside the box in this situation? It's... What do you guys think? <laughs> well, I, I believe uh, they need to change the rules. I think you should be able to play them both, but right. it's difficult for, to do that now. Uh, from what I know, this is pretty much going to be a curling candidate decision. I don't think the other agencies will, will interfere, but they will have something to say about, uh, is this the best choice to medal? Peterman and Gallant, and they maybe have to make some other changes and adjustments to be able to make sure that can happen. But uh, they have proven themselves to be the best over four years, and uh, it may be difficult to change these rules in midstream, but uh, it seems from the surveys we have done as well that that's what the curling public feels should happen as well. I think like 53% think that's what should happen. And it's sort of an arbitrary rule as well. You know, Canada has. So, and, and frankly, I think uh, having watched Martin and Griffiths, they're such a strong mixed doubles team, and... You know, there's a big debate right now about the sort of the teams that are specialists in mixed doubles. A lot of the other teams are just specializing in this. And, and I do think going forward, that's something Canada's got to start looking at, really encouraging more people to take up the game. There's very little being done to promote mixed doubles games, except we all hold a provincial. But otherwise, there's no yeah. league play, et cetera. And I'd like Curling Canada to take some of their money and put it into different events to encourage 
uh, you know, where's, where is curling strong right now? Obviously, Alberta, Ontario's always got a chance. I think they really have to start putting some energy into mixed doubles. This has put a lot of countries into world championships that haven't got a strong four-person contingent, but they can come up with two. Exactly. And I think to start off with the junior end of it, they've got to come up with a junior doubles. I think they should be doing men's and women's as well as mixed. And I thought they had the perfect opportunity with the fact that the complaint of the playoffs for the juniors were too early, and as a result, their season ended early. And so now they've gone uh, taking a retro strip of putting the thing into the last part of March, which I think was the worst thing they could ever possibly have done. <laughs> Why didn't you have the four-person teams play the first part of the season then go in the second part of the season and, and put them all into into mixed doubles. So they virtually have two se- seasons and there's a Canadian mixed doubles championship. So the juniors are never going to start to play as adults in doubles if it's not introduced to them at a young age. What do you think, Kevin? That's key to this whole equation, I think, being able to start at a young age and and being able to really succeed at it. And, and you're right. I, I, I like the idea of a double season, to be honest. I think that's terrific. Colleen, before we let you go, I really uh, want to ask you one thing. This is something I've been bugging Curling Canada about, uh, oh boy, for 20 years. <laughs> and that's this might be a good time to be able to implement it, and that's having a six-person team go to the Olympic Games. Because there's a chance, I hope it doesn't happen, but there could be a chance that some of the athletes get COVID during this event. Mm-hmm. And maybe a bit of a longer bench might not hurt. <laughs> Um, and maybe have a six-person team, a front-end player and maybe a back-end player. Or if you have a Mark Kennedy available, maybe you just bring a second skip and a player. But your thoughts on that? Because I, that, I felt that forever since uh, I first got involved in, in, uh, in the uh, Canadian program with the Olympics. And if this is our new normal, a longer bench right now is common sense. I think the problem, Kevin lies during the regular season because everybody wants to play. Nobody wants to be the person behind the glass watching. And how do you kind of start saying, okay, we are going to rotate players. Omicron certainly is that old expression that if you keep doing the same things you've always done, you'll keep getting what you'll always get. You've got to kind of accept that change is here and what opportunity is there. Certainly, you know the cost of traveling with a team, two spiels. You start bringing a five-person team into that. It adds to the cost. Well, I was never thinking of actually taking these people to normal bond spiels and stuff. I'm worried about the Olympics, maybe Worlds, but for sure the Olympics. Even let's look at the Scotties. January 28th, they begin in Thunder Bay. Because the fear is if, if a team goes down, it just wreaks havoc with the entire schedule or some teams get a free win because one team can't play. I think you're probably right, Kevin. Maybe they're not going to look at a six-person squad, but they'll start looking at a five-person squad a little more seriously. You mean in the game throughout? In the game throughout. I wouldn't want to share my sponsorship money that much. There's not a chance I would do that. Uh, (laughs) Get more money. (laughs) There's not a chance. You can't have your cake and eat it too, though, right? I mean, you have to start thinking. Well, we all do. But what's for the what's for the greater good? Always making sure you can reasonably field a team. Well, yeah, but that's my concern at the Olympic Games. Like when it's a a regular tour event, you start on say Wednesday or Tuesday at the earliest, but Wednesday and go to Sunday. That's pretty controllable. But when you're talking about Olympic Games, you might fly out, boy, I don't know, January 27th or depending on where you are in the world. And you're not you're not finished curling until sometime the 21st, 22nd of February. Mm -hmm. It's a long You're talking a substantial long time to get sick. And it only happens once every four years is the other issue. 
I think I think if you're going to introduce a five person team, it's got to be sort of. And I think exactly what you just said. The reason why people don't travel with five people team is it's the share of the prize money and it's the sponsorship money and all that sort of stuff. I don't know what the greater good is here. We're going to have a great discussion about it here soon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Colleen, before you go, um, from time to time on our show, we'll, we'll get emails or, or, or people weighing in uh, the topic of uh, kind of losing curlers. There's a gap mm-hmm. between sort of you know high school and early college and, and that a, a lot of curlers back away and, and it's harming the growth and mm-hmm. it's harming the to try and attract young curlers to the game. We, we, I guess everyone says we lose them, and then when they try and come back, you know, they've missed a bunch of curling. What are your thoughts on that? Do you agree with some of that? We're, we're seeing it probably right across the country. COVID has not helped the situation with all the different cancellations of all these teams that have sort of worked hard to try to catch up to the tier one teams and are doing the work. And then, you know, now for the second year in a row to have provincials canceled, it's discouraging for for young teams. But one of the hardest things, it's that the gap between how the big teams are funded, how do you catch up to the great players? They're not able to hang on because how do you compete with the the, the budgets of a Jennifer Jones or a Kevin Cooey or Brad Gushu? And it's really hard. And I think there's a lot to be said for sort of, if you watch the progression of a Brad Gushu or a Brad Jacobs, they got out of Northern Ontario and, and Newfoundland and Labrador, and they consistently got to go back to the briar a couple of times and play against the Kevin Martins, and, and they became great. And now they're in all the Grand Slams, so they get to stay great. I don't know if that's answering your question or not, but something's got to be done from Canadian Curling Association with funds. Create almost regional training centers so that people have access, not just in Calgary. And I know Connie Lalaberti in Manitoba has done a fabulous job there, but I think it's a necessity that they have to pay attention to the grassroots of the game across this country, the pockets of where curling has always traditionally been strong is small towns across the country. And they've got to keep giving those kids the dream to be the next Kevin Martin and give them the hope. You know, you could be Ed Wernick from, where was he from in Manitoba? And still win. You know, you can have the touch. You can have the game. Colleen, very good. Uh, Boy, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, uh, You know, as long as your curling career is, which, which is incredible, You've been in the media game for as long. Uh, I remember watching you on TV. How, how did that all start before I let you go? That you, you started because of curling and a guy at a local radio station said, you know, you're a talker. You know, do you think we could train you to do this? And um, that's how it happened. And it started in 1982 with radio. And then I am in my 35th year at CBC now. But it was really the profile of curling that allowed it to happen magically. Fantastic. Colleen, thanks a million for coming on. This was great. Congratulations on an unbelievable career, both in media and and curling. Um, Are you still going to compete? You know, I'm getting ready for Beijing, so I still go throw rocks, believe it or not. And our mixed doubles was canceled. I'm in love with mixed doubles, really. Hoping that they reschedule it for March when I come back. But who knows? Things are dropping like flies these days because of COVID, so... We'll keep our fingers crossed. Uh, go relax, Colleen. Okay, take take some time off. You're way too busy. You know, you made me feel very inept. Like I've accomplished nothing. Fantastic <laughs> not having you on, Colleen. Nice to be with you guys. You do a great Thanks job. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Colleen. Okay, bye bye. Thanks, Colleen. 
Good luck in vision. Thanks. Bye-bye. Storytime is brought to you by Meridian Manufacturing, your industrial and on-farm storage and handling partners, and proud sponsor of the Grand Slam of Curling. Kevin, is this a story about cats? Warren was telling me last night. <laughs> I, I thought maybe Warren was losing his mind. He's, yeah, he said, Kevin's got a story about cats. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's a story about cats, but you know what? We want to stay on the Olympic theme, talking about uh, everything to do with Olympics these days. And so we're going to turn the you know, time back to Vancouver going uh, to the 2010 Olympics. And of course, the trials was in December, as per normal, and, and you go through Christmas. And then uh, you try to ramp it up. And, and early in January, um, at least for uh, the Vancouver Olympics, we had an orientation where we were heading out as a team to, to Vancouver. And anyway, so we get out there and, and uh, Curling Canada is going to show us where we're going to stay. And, and it was a nice spot. I, it was a quality in and suites uh, near the airport. One whole floor blocked off for us. So, so a pretty good setup. And anyway, at that point, we didn't know where we were even curling at. So we asked, you know, where are we playing? Like, where are the Olympics going to be held at? And well, Queen Elizabeth Park. So, well, where's that? And then so we look um, and holy cow, Vancouver morning rush hour, it would have been everybody heading into downtown. So you're probably at least an hour, maybe an hour and a half drive from the airport to Queen Queenie Park in rush hour. Now, how about Olympic morning rush hour right. like what would that be so we were thinking at least an hour and a half uh of times so we said we can't stay here while we're competing you guys and of course curling Canada, well you have to stay here this is what we got you know ready for you yeah but three of our most important games we had three 9 a.m games against the toughest teams we had to play and i'm using my memory here jimmy so uh right be careful but we first <laughs> just day make we it up play norway <laughs> For sure. First game, we had to play Norway, and that was at 9 a.m. We had to play Nicodine, Sweden, at 9 a.m., and we had to play Schuster, USA, at 9 a.m. Three of the biggest games were 9 a.m., so we were thinking about it. So we have to be at the rink at 8, okay? If, we're, if it's rush hour, Olympic rush hour, we got to give at least an hour and a half, maybe an hour and 45 minutes. So let's say we'd have to leave the hotel at 6.15, which means we're probably going to have to have breakfast about 5.45, which means we're going to have to be up about 5, 5.15 a.m. Gross. Okay, <laughs> this is crazy. Because the night before, if you happen to play the 7 o'clock game, I'm not sure we did play before the 9 a.m. I'm not sure we played back-to-back jacks. But if we did, we wouldn't have got done with media till after 11. So now, wait a second here. We're after 11, and now we got to get up at 5 and compete against one of the best teams in the world? Oh, wait a minute. But Colonel Canada wasn't having any of it, so we are just going to stay there. Well, no. So we ended up grabbing a, uh, a cab and heading down towards the venue. And John Morris actually has a buddy, Gareth, really nice fellow from Toronto who had some friends uh, in Vancouver, not far from Queenie Park. And, and, and I don't know the area. John knew a little bit about it. So he phoned Gareth and Gareth set it up with this friend. Maybe we could rent their house from them. So, okay, well, that'd be cool. We rent their house and then uh, be only a little ways from, from the venue. So we drove past the venue. Okay. And then we drove to, to Gareth's uh, friend's place Went up to the door, knocked on the door. Beautiful, big home. I wouldn't know how big, but... And they were willing to rent it to us. So great. So you know, we knock on the door and they come out and, and we said, well, geez, you know, this. thank you very much. And as we're talking about renting their place, cats come. This is where the cats come. Cats come <laughs> running out the door. Well, Ben Hebert is 
deathly allergic to cats, and I'm allergic to cats. And well, wait a minute, we can't we can't rent a house that that's had cats in it. Like, geez, we'll all be we will be able to breathe for uh, for the whole Olympics. Okay, well that doesn't work. So, Jim, what naturally would you do if okay, this is a great idea to rent a house? We're only about a mile, mile and a half from the venue. There will be no traffic trouble. Yeah, but we couldn't do the house we wanted. Well, what we did is we went along and started knocking on doors. And we just went door to door. Knock, knock, knock. Hi, we're the Canadian Olympic curling team. And the setup we've got, we're down at the airport, but it's too far to the venue. Uh, would you rent us your house? Uh, no? Okay. No, 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 no problem at all. No, thanks a lot. Go to the next house. Bang, bang, bang. Well, and finally, we get to a house. I don't know how long we did it. Quite a while. Sure enough, knocking this door and a really nice lady comes and answers. And well, we're the Canadian Olympic curling team. We'd really like to rent your house. And she, well, why? Well, give her the spiel about, you know, we're at the hotel at the airport, but it's too far, like in rush hour traffic. And she'd say, well, yeah, it'd take you forever to get there. I said, well, I know. That's why we're here. That's why we're walking down the street to try to find a, a place we could rent. And she said, well, you know, we just, we actually, we just took uh, my, my mother-in-law to the airport. She's flying back to, uh, to Italy. They had a condo downtown, and they had this big house on this street not far from the venue. She said, well, no problem. We can, we can move someplace for, for most of February if you need to rent it, and, and we'll have uh, our housekeeper and, and, uh, and chef stay with you. Oh, wow. Her name was Cherry. So <laughs> this is a bonanza. So we ended up renting the house from these really, really super nice people. It's a great big place i don't know around eight thousand square feet i think and so all of us stayed there's a contingent jimmy Waite was with us and of course jules and adam enright our fifth and i think even anil our photographer was with us too so that, the whole crew of us stayed in this house and we had, had our own rooms and you wake up in the morning and and we'd have a, a breakfast sitting there of course and and uh and Cherry would make this great breakfast. And if we had to play the 9 a.m. game, we'd leave at like 7.55. Oh, beautiful. Because we were only like a minute from the rink. And I think that that renting that house honestly made a big difference in us winning the gold medal because it would have been incredibly difficult to play, to wake up at 5 a.m. or 5.15, three mornings against three of the toughest teams, and then turn around the next day and likely play at 7 p.m. and not get off, you know, out of there till 11, 11.30 I don't know. It would have been very, very difficult. But anyway, that was uh, that was quite the story. And honestly, true story were how we uh, rented a place in Vancouver for the 2010 Olympics. That is awesome. I never I never knew that. That's that's unbelievable. Just doing the math, Jimmy, like just doing the math of the travel. Like, you're thinking, man, oh, man, this is not going to work out well for us. If I was your competitor. I would have uh, I would have got about nine cats and thrown them in your dressing room. That's what I would have. Said. <laughs> I would have I would have had my broom made out of cat hair. That's uh, it's... <laughs> okay, boy. <laughs> How about your underwear? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that way. <laughs> Throw a little cat hair in his in his gaunch. See what happens. How he does. Uh, I'm going to knock on doors today, Kevin, see if anyone will take my kids. Okay, it's time for them to leave the house. Uh, very good. And uh, what a story that was. Thanks. Thanks very much for that, Kevin. And to Meridian uh, Manufacturing for sponsoring Storytime. These are getting better and better all the time. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Uh, another great show. Inside Curling is reaching out to curling clubs all over the world. And we're inviting you to contact us if you want us to set up a Zoom meeting. Uh, we've done a bunch of those. And Warren, we got one coming up. Is it in Texas? The Lone Star Curling Club, yes. Okay, so if you want us to do that, get a hold of us. Uh, we do it for about an hour. 
And the clubs that we have done, they got a bunch of their, their board on there. You know, some of them, there's 10, 15 people. And you guys get to ask Kevin and Warren a bunch of questions. Also, thanks a lot to Rod Paulson and his company, In-House Strategies. He handles all our stuff on Facebook. If you want to send us an email, you can do that, insidecurling at gmail.com. That's insidecurling at gmail.com. And uh, Warren Z, how's the new book coming along? Sticks and Stones, what's happening? Things are moving along. The book is on the market now. It's not physically out there yet, probably for two, three weeks. But if you go to the book's website, which is warrenhansenauthor.com, it'll give you all sorts of information on how you can put your hands on it, particularly if you want a electronic version right now. So it's out there. Did you mention my name in it, Warren? Otherwise, I'm not buying it. I'm not getting it. Actually, Jim, you weren't around between 1972 and 1992, which is where this whole story is centered, which is how curling became an Olympic medal sport, which is a really interesting story, I think. uh, Next book, yeah. Thanks a lot, Warren. We look forward to that. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, Boy, if you're in Alberta, uh, stay stay, uh, inside. Okay, it's it's minus a billion. I think it's minus a billion. Uh, So take care, everybody. You've been listening to Inside Curling. See you later, Kevin. See you, Warren. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy.